Tavia's mom died from pancreatic cancer on December 26, in 2022. Less than two months later, her grandmother died. Tavia was raised by these two women and is an only child. Despite the loss, she knows her mothers gave her every tool to be successful in life and a village of mama bears who love and guide her. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go and leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Tavia's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. We are glad you're here. Today, I have with me Tavia. I'm praying that I'm saying this right. I asked her once, and <laughs> she'll, she'll... You got it. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I'm such a phonetic person. Like I, I'm, they used to call me like the red pen in high school. I'd be the one that would edit your papers and things. So the way it looks, the way you pronounce it is a little different than the way I would read it. So I try to write it phonetically. Anyways, I'm giving way too much information here, but um, I am going to turn the mic over to Tavia and let her share her story. And as always, I'll come back with a couple of questions at the end. So Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Beth. Again, I know I said this earlier, but I am such a fan of your work and the community you've created for Daughters Without Moms and People Without Mothers, just the grieving community in general. And also, I appreciate you taking the time to pronounce my name properly because I am very used to people mispronouncing it. So it does not go unnoticed and I'm very grateful for that. Um, How do you fit? all of this in the 30 minutes that we have. I, I'm, you know, was thinking of how I was gonna do that. Um, I'm 25 years old. I was raised by two strong, beautiful, intelligent women, my mother and my grandmother, and they both passed away within months of one another. My mother, December 26th, 2022, and my grandmother, February 18th, 2023. So it's been a whole lot. And, uh, Something that you said earlier was, you know, thank God for him putting kind of that power on my heart to be able to talk about it. I would not be able to discuss this without the presence of God in my life. And you'll see those elements within kind of notes that I discuss within the story that I am going to tell, Um, but also my community my church community, my family, my friends all have just been such blessings in my life. And I would not be able to talk about my journey without those elements. So I want to start off by saying, um, I was not born into a Christian family. I was born into uh, a family of spiritual people But God didn't come into my life until my parents separated and my dad went to find Christ because he realized that he needed that faith to guide him throughout life. So without my dad kind of hitting his rock bottom, I don't think I would have gone to church. And I know for certain, you know, my mom wouldn't have joined me in going to church. So Let me start off by talking about Millie. Her name was Mildred Javon. That's her middle name. I won't say any last names, um, but middle names and first names are a big element for both my mother and grandmother. My mother's name was Lori Jane. My name's Tavia Janae. And my grandmother's name was Mildred Javon. But everyone called her Millie. 
And she was the world's greatest grandmother. But she wasn't just a grandmother. And that's something that I have been processing in all of this uh, is that my grandmother lived a whole life of joy and sadness and trauma and the highs and lows of being a woman born in 1946. She had a lot of oppression. And somehow through all of that, she found a voice and paved out a life for herself. Uh, that by the time that I came into the world, she was single and thriving and a businesswoman. And I kind of want to touch on what it took for her to get to that point because she was 50 when I was born, but she got married very young. She had my mother very young. She got divorced very young. She got married again. And her second husband passed away months before I was born. So by the time that I came into the world, it was as though she poured all of that love that was lost from her second husband into me. And that's why I got kind of the best version of her, I believe. And what that looked like was entire summers spent with my grandmother, because my mom also worked quite a bit. Um, and it was gardening and going to the chocolate factory or the cheese factory because she she was living in an eastern Ontario town. So a lot of farmers out that way and we'd go to the bakery and she'd take me into the office and I was her secretary and it was just the best summers. Um, my mother, she was born in northern Ontario, but once her parents separated, she had moved to this Eastern Ontario town and spent most of her life there from elementary school all until, you know, I was born. Um, and she had a different upbringing because it was a little more affluent than what my grandmother had experienced. Um, she spent a lot of time around group homes because that's what my grandmother did. She was a facilitator for group homes. My whole family is social workers. So she saw a lot of adversity um, that others were facing in Ontario. And at that time, it was for Indigenous communities and people of color. Uh, so my mother dedicated her career to helping children and helping people in need. And that's kind of where my parents met was at, uh, what at the time was called a juvenile detention center. Uh, they met, my mom was his boss and uh, they had their romance and it lasted for six years and then they separated. And that's kind of what brought my mother, my grandmother together in a closer way than I think most people had the opportunity with their family because my mother and grandmother were to me everything that everyone else fell short on. Um, and that's not to say that my father wasn't a good father, but we've had conversations on it and he admits that he was a part-time dad. The reason why he was able to be a part-time dad was because of my grandmother. I spent so much time with her. And I think that's another reason, Beth, why in my grief, I, I grieve the love lost that I can't portray further because I got so much good time with my grandmother. The amount of things that I did with my mother and grandmother in the 25 years that I had them is more than most people get in a lifetime. 
my grandmother, after moving from this eastern Ontario town, moved to my hometown, which is closer to the city of Toronto, and purchased the property across the street from my elementary school. So on lunches, I could just walk on over to my grandma's house and have you know, a hot lunch and my friends would come with me and she always made sure that the fridge was filled with food and that there was games to play and art to do. We were always scrapbooking or we were sewing. She taught me so many skills. Baking was our thing and, you know, strawberry picking. We were always doing something. And that was who my grandma was growing up. For my mom, it was the same. We were always doing things all together. So even though I was an only child, I didn't have siblings, it never really crossed my mind until I got older and saw peers who had those like traditional family dynamics that I realized that I didn't have that, but I never went feeling like I was missing anything. We went on incredible vacations. We went to Disney World a few times and cruises and they both really made sure that I had everything I needed and then some. I lived a very privileged lifestyle with an abundance of love. So for that, I have so much gratitude. Things started to change when the pandemic hit. You know, I, I went through elementary school, I went through high school, and I know I'm, I'm skipping over so much life because there's just so many good memories in that time. Um, and it wasn't all perfect. I'm not saying it was all perfect, but all things considered, it was pretty awesome. Um, when I went to university, I, you know, it was just, it went from being my mom, my grandmother and I, to it just being my mother and grandmother. Uh, because actually, eventually, my grandmother ended up moving in with my mom and I uh, when I went to high school. So by the time I went to university, um, that's when it was just my mom and my grandmother, and my grandmother's health started to take a turn for the worse. Um, and that's when my relationship with her kind of began to change because the things that we are relationship was built off of like going strawberry picking or sewing together or you know going painting each other's nails she was not capable of doing and she that's how my grandmother expresses is expresses her love that's how she expressed her love was by doing things for others you know whether it be baking your favorite dessert or cooking an entire meal when she was diagnosed with COPD her health took a major hit. And what I did not realize at the time that I, I know now is when your physical health is not at its prime, your mental health is not at its prime. And when your mental health is not at your prime, you don't treat people the way that you mean to treat them. And so this very loving, you know, generous, thoughtful grandmother that I grew up with turned into this really negative kind of dark cloud to be around. And uh, I started getting calls, you know, weekly from my mom saying how hard it was on her, how stressful it was for her to be, you know, the support system for my grandmother, because in the ailing of her health, she wasn't able to foster healthy friendships. And my mom kind of became the center of her world. Meanwhile, my mother, you know, who was a coordinator for the child and youth development program at our local college and 
ran her own practice for the Children's Law Society, worked a lot, uh, harvested a lot of really beautiful female friendships. And it was difficult for her to do all of that while also maintaining a healthy, positive relationship with my grandmother. But we still had nice moments in that time, like my graduation. Uh, I'll send you some of those pictures. Actually, they're really lovely. Um, and when the pandemic hit, it was a year after I graduated, it was all of us. I was kind of just figuring out what I wanted to do with my degree. And it was hard times, I think, as it was for everyone, because we were in isolation in our house. And the things that got my grandmother out of the house, you know, like her book club, um, like her working out, her workout classes, she couldn't do anymore. Uh, so she lived in the basement apartment and she stayed there and she kind of just, you know, my mom and I would make kind of bad jokes about it, but we would call her Oscar the Grouch because it was a way for us to make light of, you know, an, an unhealthy situation. Now, my mom and I were able to go on drives during that time to kind of get out of the house, uh, to get away from the negativity. We did prayer groups together and different spiritual, like words of affirmation and yeah, but you know, it was still a hard time and it was a long time that we were, especially in Ontario, rules were very strict here. So we were in isolation for, I think the longest out of most places in North America. Around the end of the pandemic, I had a work opportunity to move to Montreal. And so I did, and my mom and I went to look for apartments and she found this really great apartment and we had a fun weekend and signed my lease and it was this exciting, great new chapter. And so that is how things began for this next chapter of my life, kind of phasing out that pandemic chapter and into this young adult, you know, career chapter. But it was hard for my mom because we were like this. But my mom and I were so close that people would joke we were more siblings. My dad would always say, you, you and your mom are more like sisters than she is like your mother. But what he didn't always see because he was a part-time parent is that my mom actually created a very structured environment for me. And I would not have been able to accomplish anything in my life that I've accomplished thus far without everything she did for me. It was growing up, it was figure skating five times a week. I'd have vocal lessons and guitar lessons and piano and acting. And my mom put me in everything and she was working two full-time jobs and she drove me to almost all of it. And if she wasn't the one driving me, it was either my grandmother or my dad or somebody, a friend or someone. So it was just, I was busy. She kept me busy. She kept me structured. Um, she was always there to edit my papers in university. She was always there to answer my call, you know, whether I got myself in trouble at a bar <laughs> in university or, you know, if I was on a trip in Barcelona, calling her at 4 a.m. Barcelona time. She had a lot of patience for me and I wasn't always on my best behavior and I made mistakes and I still make mistakes to this day. But what my mother did was she granted me a lot of grace to learn from those mistakes 
she was stern. I remember the first time I got myself in big trouble and she sat me down, looked me dead in the eye and said, you have one free pass. And if this happens again, it's game over. And so we had that kind of relationship where there was room for an open dialogue and we could be critical, but it was constructive criticism. So it really was a healthy relationship and it's the kind of relationship I hope to have with my kids one day. When I was in Montreal, I'm sorry, I kind of am getting sidetracked here. When I was in Montreal, I got a call in July from my mother saying that she had a tumor on her pancreas or growth and that there was lesions on her liver. I knew immediately this was not a good thing. What people did not realize is that during the pandemic, my mother and I would get in arguments because I could see how stressed out and anxious she was. She had pretty bad anxiety and pretty bad sleep apnea. And so I would send her articles on how sleep apnea is comparable to smoking cigarettes. And I was hard on her. You know, I, I do admit it. I really put a lot of pressure on her to live a healthier lifestyle. And as much as we shared similar values, for me, having, you know, a structured workout and diet regimen was very important to me, which is something I've learned from my dad, but it wasn't as much for her. And I think in society in general, it's not, it's changing more now. None of this is to say that it is my mom's fault. That is not what I am saying. And I know that for certain pancreatic cancer is a very rare form of cancer. And it's a silent killer is what they call it. Uh, even if she had done those things, you know, the amount of people and the research you do on that cancer, you realize there are people who work out three times a day and eat very well and still get pancreatic cancer or another rare form. So I'm not to say, I'm not saying this to place blame on my mother, but I was not entirely shocked because she was not taking the best care that I felt she could have been taking of herself. Um, and I watched my mother because she was this just generous, kind human being, I watched her be a support system for everyone else and give everything of her being uh, at an expense of, of her own well-being. So she wasn't the best at setting boundaries with people and she wasn't the best at prioritizing her health over other things. She worked a lot and all of that. So I moved home, I took a leave from work and the family and friends rallied around to get her to her appointments, right? The, her first chemo appointment, and this is where you'll start to see kind of the God elements. Her first chemo appointment, we both really loved Alicia Keys and we had bought tickets for Alicia Keys before the pandemic. It was canceled and rescheduled three times. By the third time it was rescheduled, it was the day before her first day of chemo. So what we did is we booked a hotel across from where the concert was. 
And, you know, I packed up all of her medications because by this point she had a few painkillers and anti-nausea medication where the cancer was in her stomach. um, Because by this point we knew it wasn't just the liver and pancreas. It had also spread to the, I have a hard time saying this word, it's peridium or it's the stomach lining. There was nodules on her stomach lining. So it made her very nauseous um, before she even started her chemo. So I had all her medication packed up and we went to the concert and we had a really great time. She was still in a little bit of pain, but not as bad as it would turn out to be later down the line. And, uh, you know, the next morning we woke up early and I drove her to her first chemo appointment and I sat with her and it was surreal. We were very lucky to get into Princess Margaret cancer center which is one of the best if not the best in Canada and uh, the staff there were incredible and we really thought we had a chance and they were positive and we were positive and everyone said three years I never imagined it would just be four months there was a lot that was going on during that time as well we we tried to stay positive but mom was dying at the same time that grandma was dying and the part of the story that I skipped is when my mom had called me to tell me she had a growth on her pancreas, she had gotten that call while she was in the hospital with my grandmother. So it was just a series of unfortunate events, just one thing after the other. The difference between COPD and cancer and my mom's form of cancer is that one is rapid and one is slow. And I didn't fully understand, and my mother didn't fully understand just how sick my grandmother was. So we felt a lot of resentment towards her because it was hard for us to understand that she couldn't be there for my mom in the way that she would have been. And the way that my grandmother shows her love is through, or showed her love was through physical acts, right? Like through taking care of you. She wasn't the best with her words. So she would make you your favorite meal or get you soup or, yeah, where my mom was that way as well, but also had the vocabulary and the emotional intelligence to say, you know, I really love you. And there was just a little bit of a difference there. So it was a really unhealthy environment. You know, you had grandma in the basement with her oxygen tank and all of her medications and you had mom with all of her medications and her and her pretty terminal quickly moving cancer by the time that she had started her first round of chemo they had not even figured out what type of pancreatic cancer it was um they just knew that they had to move quickly because it had already advanced spread so much through her body they found out that it had spread to her V8 vertebrae and her spine. So they were very quick to get her on radiation. So my grandpa and I took her to a few of those appointments and a few other people were there to, you know, help through that phase. Because we were driving down, we lived about an hour east from Toronto. So it was a lot of driving. And uh, they were able to stop the spread in her spine but she wasn't responding to the chemo in the way that they were hoping. 
and what they were tracking was her bilirubin because the liver was the issue. Her liver was failing. And that's why it was so rapid. By the time it was October, you know, we went through a few months. Her health, she looked fine, actually. She didn't look like she was a woman with terminal cancer, but you could tell from how she walked and how she spoke and the way that all the medications were impacting her mentally, cognitively. This was a really intelligent woman. I mean, she was a professor and she was having a hard time completing her thoughts. And that was the impact of just all of it. It was hard for her to process as well. I can't imagine. I can only imagine what it was like to be 54 and know that you're not going to be around. And she never fully accepted it up until her last breath never fully accepted that she was going. Um, there was a lot of prayer groups and there was a lot of just love because my mom had a really big community, a really big group of people who wanted to show up for her, but she had a very hard time accepting help from people. So the people she only really accepted were from family. And that put a lot of pressure on us. And that's something that I've worked through, you know, with my therapist and is that you need to prioritize your well-being so that you can be there for the people you love. And that's something that I wasn't doing. I had lost 20 pounds in four months. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was grieving from the moment she was diagnosed. The biggest difference between my mom and I is that I have a very strong personality. I'm stubborn and I'm headstrong and my mom's softer. So it was easier for me to accept that this was happening because in some ways I am a pessimist and in other ways I'm an optimist, you know, where my mom just a, was just an internal optimist. And I knew from the research I was doing that the three years the doctors were telling us, especially because it was in her liver, likely was not gonna be the case. Um, but she could never quite talk about it. By the time November rolled around, I needed to go back to work. I wasn't making money. I was you know, using my credit card. So, and she wanted me to, she really pushed me to go back to work. So I, uh, put in my resume, a recruiter reached out to me and I started working for this company based out of Dallas, but remotely and they had an office close to the city here, Toronto. So I go away to Dallas and I get a call from her and I know something's not right. The week before I went away to Dallas, she had been admitted to the hospital because she had a bad reaction to her chemo. I knew that if they're having a bad reaction to their chemo, they're likely going to have to stop the treatment. And I know that that means palliative care. But she was always very protective of my feelings. So she didn't want to, she didn't want to admit to me what palliative care meant. Um, but I had accepted that the life that I thought I was going to have with my mom you know the song Landslide? I've been afraid of changing because I built my life around you. Yeah, that, that was my mom. Like my life was my mom. Everything, she was my soundboard, right? 
career, my university, her name should have been on my university degree. The amount of essays that she edited for me, every single one. Oh my gosh, I, I could not imagine being 25 without a mother and the goals that I had set for myself, like marriage and kids, like, oh my gosh, I was grieving for humans that hadn't even been born yet because I knew that they were gonna miss out on this incredible human. But something that's been really beautiful for me in this process is that my godmother and her friends have covered me in this love that's just been overwhelming. The amount of texts that I get every day and the meals brought and it's just been such a blessing and it's been the silver lining and all of this my family been the silver lining in this because unfortunately it takes death to bring people together and at that point in my life it really was just my mom my grandma and I and I was also living beginning to live my separate life from you know my separate life from them right you know as far as dating and building a life in Montreal and all of that um so that's to say there was a lot of grieving and processing going on. By the time I got back from Dallas, she had been put on palliative care. The family was all there. And December, it was just awful. She wasn't even herself. So many medications. You know, she was having her liver drained not liver, but the fluid that builds up on the lining of your stomach, she was having that drained a lot, something like three liters of fluid was drained. And you know, that's not good. So things were moving rapidly. I was trying to balance my new job because it was very important to her that I had, you know, that career. She's a working woman. So work was very important to her. And the fact that I wasn't working really bothered her. So in a way I did it for me and in a way I did it for her and also because I needed to make money and it was a good good distraction to this day it still is a good distraction to dive into my work and uh my yoga and all that stuff and just as my therapist had told me prioritize my well-being because in the long run it tends to be caretakers caregivers to the terminally ill who end up in the long run with a lot of health issues. Like I said, I had lost a whole lot of weight, wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping. So I'm very grateful for my therapist who very early on said to me, listen, like you need to be prioritizing your health first because if you're not, you can't be there for your mother. You can't be there for your grandmother. But honestly, and at the beginning, I, I felt some guilt for this. But in retrospect, I don't anymore because I recognize it's what I needed to do. I had to avoid being around my grandmother so that I could fully be there for my mother because it was two very different scenarios and they handled death in very different ways. My grandmother took the perspective of woe is me, which is fair, she was dying as well, but she could not talk about what my mother was experiencing where for my mother up until her last breath was still prioritizing everybody else's needs over her own there it was just two completely different things that I'm still processing and you know maybe a year or two from now I can come back and talk about it but at the time it, it just wasn't healthy for me to be around 
both of them. So I prioritized my mom and also her cancer was moving very fast. By December 20th, um, you know, her medication just made her so loopy. It wasn't really like you were having conversations. You get windows of her, but not really. That's when everyone kind of started coming around. Christmas was rolling around. I was picking up gifts and doing things I hadn't before. So it was overwhelming. Um, you know, I also had this feeling in my spirit that I did not have much time left with my mom. So I called my dad. I forgot to mention my dad lives in Costa Rica. So he lives pretty far away. Um, so it was the first time that I had seen him in person since all of this had begun to happen. He was calling me every day and FaceTiming, but it's not the same as seeing someone in person. So I remember seeing him and just like breaking down, just like, you know, there's a way that my dad can get into my innermost emotions. I, I'm a strong person. I put up a front, um, but like everyone else, I have my emotions. And my dad just, you know, has a way of seeing the real me. Um, and he came and he sat with my mom. And I'll tell you, it is very weird seeing your mother and father who had been separated for most of your life, they separated when I was six, say that they love each other and mean it genuinely and know that the love that they have for each other is much more than any romantic love. It's like a godly spiritual level because it's joined in their love for their child and also just for what they were to each other despite not sharing their lives together um yeah it was it was an, a moment that I'm very grateful for that I got to observe that because things weren't always the best between them and in many ways you know relationships are complicated my mom passed away December 26th, and that day I went into survival mode. Like the first thing I did, what had happened was it was a complication of her cancer. Um, and she had had this kind of bile blockage. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty violent death. And my therapist actually <laughs> let me go in the nicest way possible he said you know I think I'm not qualified for what you're experiencing I think you need a trauma therapist so I'm very open about my therapy and I think it's important that we are so I started seeing someone else um but it was an awful experience for everyone there I am grateful that she was surrounded by the people that she loved and she died in her home it was Christmas time, which is her favorite holiday. So the Christmas tree was up and the fireplace was on and the sunlight was shining in. And it was one of those days that it was weird because there's not a lot of sunshine in December, but it was a sunny day. And it was almost like the heavens had opened up. And she passed really quickly. The last two nights before she passed, I was sleeping with her because she had to have uh, hydromorphine and alonzapine pushed through her IV, not IV, um, ports. Um, and she couldn't sleep through the night. So I slept with her the last two nights. And I knew, I tried to have conversations with her of, you know, how are you feeling? Do you feel like you're dying? And she just couldn't talk about it. 
not really once in the entire process could she talk about actually passing. And that was her way of coping. I think it's also the eternal optimist in her. So after her passing, it was, okay, let's deal with the paramedics because the paramedics had come. We were trying to have her transferred to um, the hospital. It just wasn't, it happened exactly how it was supposed to happen. I recognize that. Uh, I'm happy that she passed in the home instead of in the ambulance or hospital. Um, but by the time the paramedics had been called and arrived, it all happened within minutes. She passed at 12.07. I'll always remember that time, 12.07 p.m. Um, I went to her best friend's house that night and I sat with her and we just grieved together. And there was something about being with somebody because we all, and this is something I've been learning. We all know different versions of a person because of the closeness I had with my mother. I saw her in a very similar light as her closest friends did, and we could grieve in similar ways. So I went to one of her best friend's houses and we had some wine. We just cried together and we laughed together and it was just surreal. And I remember walking to her house because she's our neighbor and my left hand was warm. And I always associate my left side with my mom because her name starts with an L. And when I was learning my lefts and my rights, the, this is your left, this is your right. My right side is my dad's side because his name is Rowan, starts with an R. So my left hand was warm. It was Christmas time, so it was freezing cold outside. And my right hand was freezing. And I thought, oh, mom's here. And I remember walking to her house and being like, oh, hi, and like having a conversation with my mom. And that's why I'm so grateful for my faith because even though it may be crazy to other people, for me, I really do believe that when I'm talking to my mom, I'm talking to my mom. And the God moments, like those funny, comical God moments that have happened since her passing have been just, there's, it's hard to even put words to it. For example, this past Mother's Day, very hard for me, very blessed to have my godmother. She helped my mom purchase, um, pick out my final Chris, my final, final gift, but it didn't come in time for Christmas. So my godmother was holding on to it for me. The last gift I have it here for you, Beth, the last gift I got my mother was this hummingbird necklace. And the last gift my mother got me was a hummingbird necklace. I'm wearing it. And the reason why hummingbirds are so significant is because we have a hummingbird's nest that comes every spring. Haven't come this year, so I think they're coming for her. But we've always had these hummingbirds. And my mom just is obsessed with hummingbirds. She was obsessed with hummingbirds. The house has hummingbird photo paintings and... It's part of the reason why I love Costa Rica because there's so many there. So when you know the time is right, I think I will move to Costa Rica to be closer to my dad, but it's hard with work and it's hard with everything. You know, I am 25. I do have to build a life for myself. So I need to figure out, you know, what what is God's intentions for me? Um, so that was one funny thing was the hummingbird necklace. Um Everything after that was just like complete numbness. I can't really explain it. It was going through the motions. 
um, it was, you know, going to get her ashes. It was trying to set up visitation with family. And, you know, we decided we were going to do a celebration in the spring and what's the right thing for everybody. But what's amazing, because she's the kind of person that she was, is that we actually didn't end up having to plan um, her celebration. We still will do one for her family and friends. But her place of work facilitated this massive celebration for all of her students. Over, I think, 100 people came to celebrate my mom. And I have this notebook um, of just written out stories of how she impacted people's lives. Uh, students who ended up choosing to work for hospital because she was the coordinator for the Child and Youth Development Program. So it's social workers. So a lot of her students talked about how she helped them in their careers and areas that she felt that they were more suited for. My mom was a mentor and it's so validating for me and knowing that I really did have the greatest mom because she was a mentor for so many others. And those stories were just so healing and it kind of in a way was closure for me. Um, but I also recognize I'm still very on in this process. I need to keep healing and praying and going to therapy and kind of just get through this next year of my life. Um, after my mom passed, things, yeah, moved quickly. And my grandmother's health was going very fast. Christmas dinner we ended up having on the 27th she pat my mom passed at noon on boxing day boxing other thing i want to mention is i'm very grateful that the day she passed was a day that has such great significance to us because we love shopping and boxing day from a very young age i think from the age of five and honestly probably younger my mom my grandmother and i would wake up at 6 a.m and drive to our favorite mall Yorkville Shopping Center, and we would go and shop till we dropped and go and hit all the Boxing Day sales. Even in recent years, when it became less popular and people did online shopping, we would still wake up at 6 a.m. to go do shopping. So I'm grateful that my mother's death day has a lot of fond memories. And the funny God thing is the same thing happened with my grandmother. My grandmother's health deteriorated very quickly and we had the Christmas dinner a day after my mom passed. I took her downstairs and it was very difficult. My grandmother, you know, like I was saying earlier, when your physical health isn't good, your mental health isn't good and you can't treat people the way that you should treat them. So my grandmother did not realize how, how hard it was on me to hear her say that she didn't want to live anymore and hear her say that you know, she just was beside herself. My grandmother did not ask me once the entire time how I was doing. And at the time I was very resentful towards her in retrospect and in doing therapy and healing, I recognized that she just was not capable. And that version of her was not her. It was her sickness. She was also incredibly malnourished. I think she was like 90 pounds by that time and was on permanent oxygen. Very basic things like eating were challenging for her because she couldn't breathe. February comes along 
and she gets pneumonia, but she doesn't want to do treatment. So she's admitted to the same hospital that my, my mother had been admitted to. The team knew us at that point. And uh, it was fast. She was there for a week. And my cousin was getting married on the 18th of February. And I said to my grandmother that I wasn't sure if I wasn't go, going to, I was not certain if I was gonna go because I wasn't as close with my dad's side as the family as I would have liked to be because my dad wasn't living in Canada and he was a part-time dad, right? So I didn't do all the things that I wish I could have done with that side of the family. I have a very big Jamaican family. That's my half of my ethnicity. So I wasn't certain, but what my grandmother said to me was, and this was a beautiful moment because I got an image of who she was to me in the better years. She said, you need to go and you need to show them how great of a person you are and show them how loving and kind and generous you are. And so when she passed, it was at, um, she had gotten into palliative care center, the same one that my mom was on a waiting list for. A bed just so happened to open. She was there for less than 24 hours and passed the morning of the 18th. And my cousin's wedding was the night of the 18th. So I was like, I don't think I'm gonna go. And my friends were like, you should go. Your grandmother would have wanted you to go. So I, I went and a really awful day turned into a really beautiful day. And it was a celebration of life. And even though I'm not as close with my dad's side as the family as I would like, it was like no time had passed. And I'm very blessed to have over 10 cousins who I genuinely like as people, who I would be friends with just because they're good humans. And, you know, we danced and we drank and we cried together and it was a really beautiful evening to an end to a really awful day. And then, yeah, the healing process began, the grieving process, all of that. I'm still not processing things entirely. I recognize it is a little bit of a risk to come on a podcast and talk about things so soon. Um, but I also think that in a year from now, two years from now, I can look back at the back on this episode or this podcast and say, okay, that's where I was at that moment. And for me, talking about all of it is a way for me to heal, talking about it in a way that is honest, because that's my main goal is being honest. Um, and then also just positive, because there is so much more love and light and laughter in my life shared with my mother and grandmother than there was negativity. And the pandemic was hard on all of us. The pandemic, I think, is the reason why my mom's cancer went undiagnosed for so long. Our healthcare system was so already pretty problematic. By the time the pandemic was over, it was broken. So it took so long for her to get in to see a specialist. My grandmother did not have the AIDS that she needed. I think her health deteriorated so quickly because, because they just weren't offered to her. Everything was closed during the pandemic. The things that kept her going, like her workout classes and her book club, she didn't have anymore. And she was terrified because she had COPD. She couldn't leave the house, right? Here is this crazy new 
thing called COVID and what does it hit your lungs? So my grandmother was very, did not want to be, and she already wasn't the most um, physically affectionate person. Like she doesn't like hugging, didn't like hugging, didn't like. So already she's like, don't come near me. <laughs> so it caused for, and for someone like me who is a hugger and like my mother who is a hugger, it caused for conflict, but there was a lot more love in our relationship than there was negativity. So I'm grateful for that. That's it for me. So one of the things you you talked a lot about your your processing and and that you thought you know sharing your journey as someone with a recent loss might be something that um, people would like to hear. So is there anything specific around that that you you know think you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, it is shocking to me how the people you think will show up for you will not, and the people who do show up with you are just complete completely unexpected and there's something beautiful about that and something that I've learned is that it's okay for people not to show up the way that you think that they will because God's got your back and will give you exactly what you need in that moment every Wednesday I go and I have dinner with my uncle and I see my godmother you know once a week if that we we text every day um things that have been helping me in the moment have been going to yoga every morning mm -hmm. if I can um praying surrounding myself with good people um I'm very blessed to have friends from different chapters of my life but being in my childhood home that I've lived in since I was eight means that I have access to people I've known since I was eight and there's something cool about that um, I'm the first in my friend group to lose a parent that I know of off the top of my head. That's not true, actually. I have a few friends who have lost parents at different chapters of their life, but I'm one of the first. And people don't realize how much a life event like losing your mother and grandmother changes your essence, changes your being. I, this has changed me. I will never be the same person. I have this like new perspective on just patience. It's weird because my grief does make me irritate it more easily, but I also just have an easier time listening to people, which is hard to explain. Um, and again, I'll probably be better at explaining it in a year from now or, or whatnot. But I think when you're going through grief very early on, it's a lot of learning that it makes absolutely no sense. There's a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. everybody's journey is different. Just like you said, you know, with the people that might show up that might not show up. Um, you know, for a long time, my well, in I think 2020, my word of the year was grace, because not only did I have to give grace to all of the people that I was holding to a level of expectation that wasn't real, realistic, because like you talked about that your grandmother was like no longer capable, um, you know, to be, you knew that she was different because she was just no longer capable to be that person that she used to be. It's the same thing with the expectations of people when there's a hard life event like that. Some people just can't deal with it. They literally 
cannot deal with it. Um, and I could have, you know, you can choose to get angry or to just uh, try to understand because you can't make somebody do something that they're not capable of doing. Um, yeah, the only thing you can control is your reaction. That's yeah. kind of been the theme of my healing process. The only thing I have control over is how I react to all the ways that I've been disappointed or let, let down in life. And it's helped a lot. It's so much easier, in my opinion, to see all the positive things, the silver linings, than it is to dwell on all the negatives. And I think, you know, no matter what your beliefs are, if you choose that outlook on life, you will live a happier and healthier lifestyle. Yeah, there is always something that you can find to express gratitude for. Always something. Always. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. some sort of scientific proven thing that be, that it releases those is it serotonin? I don't know. The good, the good hormones, the good feel good hormones. Um, when you have those sort of practices, um, instead of the the stress hormones that seem to run rampant these days. Um, so it is yeah. a, a practice and it needs to be practiced daily. Yeah. And yeah. funnily enough, that's something that the pandemic helped me with is that I started expressing gratitude during that hard chapter because it was hard not to be negative and get bogged down and well how come I have to be in lockdown <laughs> like you're the only person but everyone's going through it right so yeah it took it took a lot of practice but it's something I do every morning is the morning affirmations which is what my mom taught me and going through what you're grateful for even if it's just three things I have a roof over my head I have food in my mouth I have two cats that I love <laughs> those things Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you are now living in your childhood home. Yes. Okay. okay. Hmm. I'm sure that that's bittersweet sometimes. It's weird being in here without her and without my grandma. It is weird. Um, but again, it's a blessing because mm -hmm. my initial reaction to conflict uh, is to run is to kind of just move on and distract myself, which I have done in some ways with my work, um, but I found healthier ways to deal with it. And so being in my childhood home and kind of getting on my back on my feet has allowed me to stop and feel grateful for the things that I didn't always feel grateful for in my hometown. You know, I, I'm a woman of color who grew up in a predominantly white town. So I've experienced a lot of racism here and it was something that I felt very resentful for. So when I got a chance to leave and, you know, for university, for, you know, moving to Montreal, I was like, I'm out of here. I, I hate my hometown. It's the worst. Now I'm like, wow, my hometown's so beautiful. Like I have a yoga studio down the street. There's a juice shop. I get my morning bone broth. My neighbors are the best. Like it's a small town. So everyone knows everyone. And they're texting me, seeing how I'm doing. When my mom was sick, they'd bring meals on rotation. There's something really great about a small town and having that community. It's not something that everyone gets to experience. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of gratitude for it. And being in the child at home, you know, you see all those memories and you realize 
how lucky you are to have lived such a privileged lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned something about like your, you know, your career and that your mom was, you know, a professional woman and, and that working was important to her and it is important to you too. Um, at the, since I'm more than twice your age, just the one little thing that I would say to you is that I don't know, I don't know how you were raised, but and the culture I grew up in was that like you have to have everything figured out and have a plan and steps and you know to to reach the certain goals and things that you have. Um, I would just allow yourself to experience experience some organic fluidity with things. Like you're young, the pandemic did change the career and the careers and the way that looks in a lot of different ways. Like you know, you mentioned going to Costa Rica, you know, I, I, one thing I, like, I say this to my 20 year old son all the time who chose not to go to college and works full time is like, you won't ever figure anything out, but without action, you got to try things. You got to take a little risk every once in a while and try something and see where it goes. And it doesn't mean you make a lifelong commitment to a job or a company or something, but, um, being the age that you are and you seem like you, you know, you're very well-spoken and intelligent and just to, to like, you know, open your eyes up to what's out there for you. You know, it could be, could be something totally unexpected. Yeah. 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 And it's something that this journey has taught me is that I have new passions now. I love talking. I always love talking about my feelings but I love listening to people's experiences. And I love that I can now be a support system to my friends who are going through similar things that I've gone through. And I do think that I will move into a more community focused career because my career now is digital marketing. Like I run paid media. Uh, so I'm not really helping anyone, but I do love the work that I do. It's got creative element to it. And I get to work on a team that's passionate about what they do. That being said, I'd love to be a yoga instructor one day. I'd love to have my own yoga studio or who knows, teach it in Costa Rica. Who knows? Yeah, the beach in Costa Rica. <laughs> it's a simpler lifestyle. They, they call it Corvita. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned in being able to acknowledge the silver linings and I gave you a lot of credit for being able to do that. Um, less than six months after both of these losses that you've experienced. So keep up, keep up the good hard work that you've been doing because it is hard. Um, but you know, life is hard. And you said before we started recording something to the effect of that, you know, your grief is all the love that you received. How did you say it? Do you remember how you said it? It's the love that I don't get to express anymore. Right. Yeah. Andrew Garfield said that in an interview and uh, I, it just stuck with me. And he lost his mom, I think, to pancreatic cancer. So for a cancer that is not common, it's I, I hear about different people who have who've lost their mothers to pancreatic cancer. Mm. Actually, mm -hmm. this first book that I read, uh, it has a pretty brutal name but there's something to be said about it. It's called the, the Dead Moms Club. That's something that's been interesting to me is death is so taboo. People don't like the word dead. So I would tell people that 
I was reading this book and they'd be like, oh, what an awful name. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what it is. Like, we're a club of women who have dead moms and it's brutal, but it's also true. This book that I just so happened to come across, she lost her mother to pancreatic cancer when she was in her late 20s. And this woman went through a very similar thing as me, um, except, you know, obviously there's complexities, nuances, but it was nice to read something that was obviously a very sad story, but had a lot of love in it and comedy in it. And she spoke about having her children and being married after her mom's passing. These are things that I still can't fully wrap my head around. Um, and when she was first diagnosed, I was like, I'm never having kids. I remember sitting on the couch with my mom and my grandma saying, I'm not, how can you tell me that I should still be a mother when you know that like, I was angry, I was mad at the world. Um, but I could see how this whole experience has prepared me to be a, a better mom. And I don't know what that will look like in my life, but now I have this kind of excitement for it to recreate, which I know won't be exactly that, but the love that my mom and my grandmother gave me. Yeah. Got a whole lot of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Susan David is an author that I like and her quote, kind of similar different words is grief is love looking for a home. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah mm. Mm. that's beautiful yeah. mm -hmm. cool. well thank you I'll have to email you and ask you for the name of that author because that's I'm looking for a list of books to read so okay sure yeah sure yep so as you know I usually wrap up the podcast with that there's a final thought or something that you want to share with the listeners before we say goodbye there is nothing more important in my opinion as a woman to build nurturing and healthy relationships with your fellow woman, because those are the people who will show up for you as true life partners. I think the true love story of my mom's life was with my godmother. They were in each other's lives for most of it. And they were best friends the entire time. I, you know, my mom said to me, because my mom never married. So I remember when she told me she was going on palliative care, I, I was sad that she never had her wedding or that she wouldn't see me get married. And she said to me, you know, like, you're the love of my life and that's enough for me. And I've had some pretty great love stories. Um, and then she talked about my godmother and how love doesn't always have to be romantic. It can be platonic. And there's something about that that is true because the people who have shown up for me, for her daughter, um, after her passing have been the woman. Mm. They've covered me in this kind of, like I said earlier, overwhelming. It, it, it is overwhelming. It's hard for me to say without crying. Like I would be completely lost without the woman in my mother's life. Mm. So that's the last message I have to say is surround yourself as a, as a woman with quality women and nurture those relationships over any any man they're so much more important mm. oh that's beautiful thank you for sharing that and thank you for being here and sharing your story with us if you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey please visit my website www.yourgriefjourney.com 
If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.